I'm really excited about this series. You may have no idea what it's about. You've heard Wonder, Childlike Faith, but it's not really clear. And uh, we didn't do that on purpose, but that's what's happened. But I'm excited tonight to kind of explain to you what my heart is for this. I think that God is going to really break through our hearts tonight. I think, so no matter if you came here tonight and you've been uh, following Jesus for a long time, or maybe you came and you don't follow Jesus, I think wherever you are tonight that God's going to speak to you. That's just how I feel about this message. Um, so I'm excited for that. And I want to ask you a question to start off. And the question is this. Do you remember what it's like to be a child? And for some of you, you're like, hey, I'm 18. I was a child last year. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're five or six and you would go outside with your imaginary friend named Barth and you guys would play. Okay, that was just my friend. No, he wasn't named that. I just thought of that. But uh, you'd go outside and play, just be you and your imaginary friend. And, uh, and your imagination was able to entertain you. And you had this wonder. You had this wonder about you. Do you remember what it was like to believe in Santa Claus? Maybe your family was really religious, and they're like, you know, no Santa Claus. But for most kids, you grew up believing in Santa Claus. You know, for me, I remember that. I remember what it was like to believe in Santa. I believe so strongly in him. And I think that's part of my personality. All right, I'm a pastor. I just believe really strongly in things. And uh, there was a day after church... I can remember it still. This is seriously how devastating it was to me. I can remember it played out in my head, and I was in the car in the very back seat in my mom's van, and she told me that Santa Claus was not real. And that day, I was devastated, like seriously devastated. I cried. I cried. I was so devastated that Santa Claus was not real because I believed so strongly that he was that it kind of crushed me. And my mom was pretty worried at that point. She's like, holy crap, what did we get ourselves into here? You know, we want our boy to believe in Jesus. So she's like, hey, I want to encourage you that, you know, Jesus is real, though. Santa Claus is not, you know, the Easter Bunny is not, two fairies is not, like all these other things are not, but Jesus is real. And thank God that he showed himself to me throughout my childhood, and I was able to believe, and I still believe that Jesus is real. I believe that Jesus came, he lived the human life, he died, he was put in the grave, and he rose from the dead, because I've been able to encounter Jesus for myself. And, but, like, uh, no matter where you're at in your faith journey, you can't deny that as you get older, or as you start to get further away from your conversion experience, it's tough to avoid the temptation to get more cynical and critical, just about the world in general. As you see what this world is all about, it's tough not to get cynical. It's tough not to want to investigate every single thing that someone says to see if it's really true, because you've been lied to, you've seen terrible things happen in the world, and it causes the cynicism and critical spirit to rise up in you. And that's something that I've struggled with throughout my life at different times. And, and we get in this spot where maybe we believe in Jesus, but, but we don't actually believe that God is going to encounter us here on this earth. We don't believe that God actually wants to do miracles. We don't believe that God actually answers our prayers. Maybe you've prayed some prayers, some persistent prayers, and God has not answered them the way that you want him to answer the prayer. And it's caused you to be cynical. And maybe now you don't even pray about your needs because you don't think that God will hear you. That's where some of us are tonight. Some of us have, like I just feel in the air as I prayed and sought God for this. I just feel like some of us have a hard heart tonight. You know, maybe like myself too. And I just believe that God wants to break through that. And I want to ask you to, to just open yourself up to that. I know it's the first week of the spring semester. It's busy. You're just getting back and settled. But guys, it's a little loud. Let's allow God to have his way in our hearts. Because I believe he wants to speak to us. And I believe he wants to call us back, or maybe the first time, to this spot of childlike faith. I believe that God wants to deliver some of us of cynicism tonight. The cynicism that questions everything. It's not bad to question, but when it gets to the point where no one 
where you don't believe anybody, or where like every time someone comes up to preach or speak, you have to be so cynical. That's not healthy. And I believe that tonight that God is going to free us from that. And I believe for the next four weeks that God is going to move in our hearts. And really the heart behind this series is this. There's basic truths in the scriptures that uh, when you first came to faith were new to you, and maybe they caused you to get excited, you know, like for instance, the cross that Jesus died for us, or maybe the creation story that God spun the world into existence, or maybe the fact that God called ordinary people in the Bible to do extraordinary things, or maybe the fact that Jesus is going to come back. These are the topics we're going to cover. Those truths at first may have stirred you, but maybe now they're kind of old to you. You've heard those truths, and and my prayer is that God would just reveal these truths to you in a new way, and that it would cause you to be stirred to wonder in faith before God to say that if Jesus really, or did Jesus really die for me? That's crazy. God himself becomes a human and then lives a perfect life and gets put on a cross for us. That's crazy, and it's too normal for us. We that truth has gotten too typical. We've heard it too many times. And for some of us, we need to be stirred by that truth again. And tonight, specifically, what we're going to talk about is creation. The fact that God spoke and spun the world into existence, that should cause us to wonder and to believe that if God spoke the world into existence, that God can do anything, right? I believe that God is going to call us to this place where we believe that he can do anything tonight. So Matthew 18, verse 1-4, Jesus kind of captures this idea of childlike faith. He says this. He says, well, he doesn't say this. This is what Matthew's saying. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. So he takes a child, he puts him in the midst of them, and he said, truly I say to you that unless you turn and become like a child, then you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the call of Jesus for us, for each one of us, is to receive him with this humility and the faith and faith of a child. And this idea that God is calling us to be a child before him, to sit on his lap and to say, God, you're my dad. God, you can do anything. God, you've shown me so much love. This idea of being a child who's filled with wonder, that's going to shape this whole series. So in a sentence, wonder is all about recapturing this heart of awe and wonder before God, and it's a call truly back to childhood, to receive God like a little child, to take him at his word, to have this humility before him, and to believe that nothing is impossible with God. So my question is, are you ready? Because I believe God's going to shake some things up tonight. I really believe that. Get ready, because God is going to move. I believe for each one of us, it's going to look different. I believe God's going to speak to us through a different part of the sermon in different ways, but I believe all of us, I'm just believing that in faith, that every one of us is going to walk out of here being shown something new about God or being stirred in a certain way. I'm just believing for that tonight. So the title of this talk is The Wonder of Creation. We're going to talk about the creation story. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 1. So this is pretty awesome for those of you who didn't grow up in church. It's really easy to find. You turn past the table of contents, and Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. And we're going to read the first three verses tonight. So it's a pretty uh, simple uh, turn for you. So turn there. And... Uh, I want to give you some background about this book. So a couple things about Genesis. The first thing is this. Genesis means origins or beginning, okay? So really what Genesis is, it's the origin of the world. It talks about the origin of the human race. It talks about the origins of sin and specifically the origins of the Jewish people. And traditionally, by both Christians, Jews, and also Jesus himself, the belief is that the prophet Moses wrote this book along with 
the next four books. So Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These five books collectively are called the Torah or the Pentateuch. If you took Humanities 1 or you took Religions of the World, you've heard about the Torah, okay? These five books. And there's this belief out there in secular scholarship that these five books were not written by Moses, but instead they were written by multiple different people and it was kind of compiled together. And this theory is called the Documentary Hypothesis. Okay, so for me when I came in as a freshman, this idea that maybe it wasn't written by Moses scared the crap out of me. I'm like, whoa, like, was uh, Jesus lying when he said that uh, the prophet Moses wrote this book or wrote these five books? So what I want to say to you is sometimes we view it as one or the other. Like it's got to either be Moses or it's going to be the documentary hypothesis. And I want to encourage you to find this center spot where I think the, uh, the compilation of these five books, the way it happened was I think Moses directed it and Moses wrote most of it, but he used sources and he used other people to help him write it. So that, for me, that's what's explained how there's uh, some truth to the idea that there's multiple sources. But I think Moses was the one who was guiding and directing it. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so I wanted to give that to you because some of you maybe heard that in Humanities 1 and you didn't know what to do with it. So I wanted to encourage you with that. So that's just a nugget. It has like really nothing to do with the sermon. But so Genesis 1, specifically what we're going to look at tonight is the first of two creation stories in Genesis. And Genesis 1 is really this 10,000 foot view of creation. It, it portrays God as this powerful, majestic being who just speaks and stuff is created. Okay? Boom. That's the God of Genesis 1. And, and he's the same God of Genesis 2, but it, it truly reveals uh, the multidimensional uh, character of our God. Because then in Genesis 2, we see God being more tender and close in the creation act. He, he uh, takes the dust and forms the man and woman out of the ground. So there's two different kind of perspectives, and, and they're not contradictory, but instead they complement one another, and they show us that God is transcendent and also close. God's up there, but he's also close. God's powerful, but he's also near. It shows us that, that God is multidimensional, and there's a lot to him. See, here's the thing. If God is real, we probably can't put him in a box, right? And that's what we try to do a lot of times. Like, it's got to either be Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. No, they complement one another. So I do want to encourage you with that as well. So Genesis 1, 1 through 3 is what we're going to look at tonight. Just three verses. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, uh, just, or let there be light. And there was light. That's beautiful. So three verses, that's it. So the main idea tonight is this. The creation story shows us that God is infinitely powerful, and he's able to do anything. Or I said it like this, and nothing is impossible with him. So this truth should cause us to marvel at God. He's infinitely powerful, and nothing, nothing, nada is impossible with him. Our dad, our king, can do anything. Do you believe that? If you don't, that's okay. I'm hoping tonight that God will stir you to believe that once again, that he can do anything. Let's pray over this. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Genesis 1, 1 through 3. I pray tonight that this text that probably many of us have read, probably during church as a kid growing up when we grabbed the Bible in the back of the pew because we were bored and just read the first three verses. We probably read it before. God, I pray that it would be revealed to us in a new way tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask you to just illuminate this word to us. And God, I pray that you would compel us to believe like children 
that you're able to do anything. In Jesus' strong name I pray, amen. All right, so this creation story shows God's infinite power, his majesty, his ability to do anything. Before the beginning of time, everything as we know it had not been created yet. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit were together enjoying profound intimacy and community. And out of an extension of God's love, he wanted to create beings in his likeness that he could share his love with. So why do parents have children? They want to share their love with their kids. They want an extension of their love. That was God's heart. He wanted to extend his love to children, to human beings. And out of that love and out of that desire, God created the world as we know it. And I think these three verses, these, those very opening verses of the Bible, they show us three things about God and creation that should profoundly impact the way we think about God, the way we live life, and should stir us to a heart of wonder and awe before him. So let's take it verse by verse again. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the first point tonight is this, God created the world out of nothing. God created the world out of nothing. So verse 1 shows us something profound about God. God does not need tools. God does not need help. He does not need resources to create. He simply thinks a thought and speaks, and it's created. He created matter, space, time. And the Hebrew word that, uh, that Moses uses here to create, this idea of create, is bara, which stresses God's sovereignty and his power in creating. And by heavens and earth, so the heavens and the earth, what's that mean? That means everything. That means that God created everything in the universe. And theologians often refer to God's creating act in Genesis 1 as ex nihilo, which is a Latin word for creating out of nothing. He created this out of nothing. So therefore, we could say, in the beginning, God created everything we know out of nothing. All of it. All of it out of nothing. He simply thought and boom, it's created. This is the God we serve. This is the God we serve. Is that too like typical or something you've heard a lot? Like think about that. God thought and he created everything we know. He created us out of a thought. And the remaining verses in chapter one tell us what God created specifically. He creates light. He creates land and the waters. He creates the sky. He creates plants, vegetables, fruits. He creates animals. He hangs the stars. He creates the sun and the moon, and he sets up what we know as day and night. And his signature creation comes in verse 26 when he creates man and woman in his image and tells them to multiply and fill the earth and have dominion over it. God creates. God creates something. He creates everything out of nothing and breathes life into the dead and into the dormant. So this is wonderful, but how does this apply to us? Okay, great. God created the world that way, but how does that apply to us? Well, couple ways. First thing is it should cause us to drop to our knees in awe and wonder at our God. He's a big God. He's not the domesticated God that we all try to figure out in America. Like, let's put him into our box. He's not that kind of God where we try to figure everything out. Like, why does he do this? Why does he do that? The point is you can't understand why he does everything because he's so big. He's so out of this world. He created everything. So maybe some of you come in here tonight. This is just extra, but you come in here tonight and there's something that happened in your life and you're trying to understand like, why did this happen? And sometimes the answer is we will never know until we get to heaven. Because God doesn't always do things the way we think he should. Because he's way bigger than us. 
He created everything we know. So this should cause you to worship him, to fall before him and say, God, I don't understand everything, but I know you're really big. God, I know you're really powerful, and I know you love us. And I fall before you and worship you. So every time you go outside, I encourage you to thank God. Say, God, I thank you for that sweet tree by Lang Hall. That's a good tree right there. God, I thank you for the stars. God, I thank you for creating the mountains, which we don't get to enjoy here in Iowa. Thanks, God. But uh, I encourage you to, cre- or to thank him for these things. But it should also cause us to believe that he can bring something out of nothing in our lives. So God is able to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. He's able to do far more. Your biggest dream for this campus, this biggest dream for your life, God's able to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. I love Romans 4. The Apostle Paul is talking about Father Abraham, which we'll talk about next week in Genesis 12. But Father Abraham was promised that he would have children. And this dude's like 100 years old. His wife's like 93. He's like, there's no way we're having kids. All right? And But Abraham continued to hold on to this promise, and eventually God gives him children. And this is what Paul says about this. I think this is, there's something profound in here in verse 17. It says, as it is written, I made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. And this is the part I want you to get. Just get this phrase. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God calls into existence things that do not exist exist. There was a 93-year-old woman, or 92, I'm not sure, but up in the 90s, that had a baby. That's a miracle. God did it. Nothing is impossible with God. So maybe you come in here tonight, and you're feeling hopeless. God's promised you something that has not come to pass yet. And the reality that God created the heavens and the earth should make you drop to your knees and realize that, that no matter how hopeless our situation appears or how bad things seem to get, we serve a God who is able. We serve the God who can do the impossible, the God who brings life to things that don't even exist. The creation story should cause faith to rise in this place. Faith rise. It should cause us to dream impossible dreams for God and his kingdom. Have you dreamed a dream that only God can do? Or are all your dreams something you can manage on your own? I'd encourage you to think bigger if they're all dreams you could do on your own. If I work hard, I get good grades, and I... uh, do a good resume, then I'll get that job. Okay, that's a great dream, but believe that God could do something that seems impossible if it's just on your own. I encourage you to dream bigger dreams and to have confidence because if we serve a God who can bring everything out of nothing, then we can boldly follow his will and his call on our lives knowing that he can do it, that he can work it out. So has anyone in here seen The Greatest Showman yet? All right, a few people, okay? I like that movie. It's good. I listen to that soundtrack the whole time writing the sermon because I'm thinking about wonder. I'm thinking about being a child. I'm dreaming a million dreams. That's a good song. You should listen to it. But anyways, I won't give the story away because some of you need to go see it still. But I'll give you kind of like brief points about it to illustrate a point. So the story is about this kid who is poor and he has all the odds stacked against him. But he continued to strive towards his dream. And the biggest thing is he continued to believe that that nothing was impossible. He believed that if he worked hard enough, if he pursued his dreams, that he could do it. And this actually led him to start the circus. And he experienced profound success. And I think the big reason is because he believed, or he was really confident in himself, and he believed that, you know, nothing was impossible. So he pursues this dream, and without giving too many details, his downfall is they become self-centered. His dreams are really about him, and uh, there's some issues at the end of the story. But for us, how does this apply to us? Well, a couple ways. One, I'm thinking about this guy. He 
this kid, and this is kind of a true story. I'm not sure how tied in it is. There's a guy named P.T. Barnum who started the circus, so I'm not sure how true it is. But I know there's people all throughout the earth who have these crazy dreams, and they believe in themselves, and they're able to achieve them. They're able to go after them and achieve them. They believe that nothing's impossible, and they keep working. They keep going after it. And for us, those who call ourselves sons and daughters of God, how much more should we dream big dreams? The people who are creating the, the most marvelous things in our world should be Christians. They should be, because we serve the God of the impossible. We need to start dreaming bigger. So maybe God wants to give you an idea. Maybe God wants to cause you to, to pursue something that seems impossible for his glory. And I would encourage you tonight to pursue those dreams. And the best part about it is hopefully you won't have the downfall of P.T. Barnum because your dream's not about you. It's about God. It's about his glory, his kingdom. So I encourage you tonight to dream big dreams for God's kingdom and then to pursue them confidently saying, I serve the God who created everything out of nothing. And I believe that this idea that God created all out of nothing should cause us to wonder and to have optimism and to walk forward with faith and confidence. We should be the most optimistic people on the earth. I believe that. All right, second thing tonight, verse two. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I love that picture. The Holy Spirit just hovering over the face of the waters. Second point, God beautified the chaos. God beautified the chaos. So the earth is without form, it's void, it's dark, and it implies that the world lacked order and beauty. And this idea of the Spirit of God hovering should give us a sense of expectation that something is about to happen. The Spirit of God is hovering. In the first verse, we're introduced to God the Father, Elohim, God the Father, the Hebrew word that declares God is majestic and powerful. And now here we're introduced to the Spirit of God, who we later come to know as the Holy Spirit. And the Hebrew word for spirit here is rock, which means air in motion and can be translated as wind, breath, spirit, or life force. So the Spirit of God or the breath of God or the wind of God is hovering over the waters in anticipation, over this formless, chaotic earth. And the word of hover here in the Hebrew, it gives this idea that he's like an eagle. He's preparing to strike. He's over the chaos. He's over the disorder. And he is just awaiting God's word to strike and to bring beauty. And in verse 3, we'll see that God speaks and he does so. So the world is chaos without form and void. And the spirit wants to bring, or bring beauty to it. And one of the functions we'll see of the Holy Spirit throughout the scriptures is he brings life. He brings beauty. He brings order the Holy Spirit brings beauty out of chaos. So the Holy Spirit doesn't only bring beauty though, out of nature or the chaotic forces of nature, but he also brings beauty to our lives. He brings order to our chaotic situations. So let's be honest, we do a pretty good job of screwing up our lives, right? We do some pretty stupid things. You ever done a stupid thing? You know, Rob's like, I have not, but I'm kidding. Rob's not. He's nodding. He's going with it. But we do stupid things. We do things that bring chaos to our lives. We make poor decisions. We fall into sin. We resist God's voice. We harden our hearts. But the Holy Spirit is eager. He's over your life. He's over you right now, and he's readying to strike and to bring beauty to your life. But all you have to do, you have to do something. You have to surrender to that. You have to say, all right, Holy Spirit, have your way. He wants to bring, or bring beauty to your chaotic situation. 
So some of us tonight, we're going through some stuff. You know, maybe there's a boy or a girl that you liked that that person does not like you back. Or maybe that person's not who you thought they were. Or maybe you made some poor decisions over winter break. You did some things you are just regretting. You're feeling remorse. It took everything to come to Kyle because you didn't want to feel guilty about the thing you did over break. Or maybe last semester was a bad semester for you. And you've been getting wrapped up in the things that hurt the heart of God. Or maybe you lost someone you love recently and you can't seem to shake it. You can't understand why God would allow that to happen. So let me encourage you tonight that God is able to, be, or to bring beauty out of the ashes. He's able to bring beauty out of the ashes of your life. He's able to take your dumb decisions or the hard things that have happened and bring beauty through it. So how many of you have heard the story of the biblical character Joseph? Okay, Genesis 37 to 50, we talk, or talks about Joseph, and it's in the latter part of Genesis, as I said. And I won't give you all the details for sake of time, but, but this man was preferred by his father over his brothers, and he resented, or he was resented by his brothers for it. And out of jealousy, his brothers sold him into slavery, and he endures years of hardship. And he ends up becoming a servant of this dude named Potiphar, and Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's guard in Egypt. And he does a good job serving him. Things are going well. You know, he's a servant, but he's doing well. He's getting promotion. But then Potiphar's wife gets a crazy idea and tries to bust the move on him. And maybe, you know, some of you, someone's been trying to bust the move on you. So what does Joseph do, though? He says, uh-uh, girlfriend. Get out of my way. I'm focusing on the Holy Spirit on Jesus. And he doesn't say it that way. But he does resist her coming on to him. And then he's punished for it because she got hurt. You know, people get hurt when they come on and then you get rejected, right? We all get hurt by rejection. She gets hurt and she just makes up a lie about him and he gets thrown in to prison. And then he's in prison for years. And then through a series of events, Joseph gets an opportunity to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. Okay, there's a dream that's pretty much saying that Egypt is going to go through several years of famine and Joseph's able to interpret that dream, and then he's promoted out of prison and all the way up to the highest official in Egypt, the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And he's able to help Egypt get through these years of famine. And then his brothers come back begging for food. They don't realize it's him, but they're begging for food because there's famine. And Joseph is able to help his family to get through that time of the famine. So I share this to say this. Genesis 50, verse 20 says this. As for you, you meant evil against me. So Joseph is talking to his brothers, okay? So he gets the point, finally get that revenge, you know, right? He says, but he doesn't get revenge. That's what he says. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that there could be, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God used all the terrible events of Joseph's life to bring beauty. And some of you, you're in a storm right now. Things are not going well, but I want to encourage you that if you surrender to God, if you submit to him, he can bring beauty out of the ashes. And Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is able to leverage the events of your life to bring about your good and his glory so take heart today. If you're in a chaotic situation, I just want to say the Holy Spirit is hovering and he's eager to bring beauty to your chaos. And look at the order of creation. Look at what God has done and know that God can order your life and fulfill his purposes for you. And allow that truth, 
Even if you're going through a storm, allow that truth to cause you to be filled with faith and wonder before him and say, God can bring beauty even out of these terrible situations. All right, there's one more thing. And God said, uh, just let there be light, and there was light. So verse 3, God says, let there be light, and there's light. So one more thing I want to get. God lit up the darkness. Okay, third point, God lit up the darkness. So the first two verses build tension and anticipation as we know that God is about to create some stuff. He's about to create everything, and the Spirit is just waiting, saying, give me the word, God. Give me the word. I'm ready. I'm ready to strike. I'm ready to create. He's hovering over the void. He's ready to bring beauty, and now the creating act begins. God says, let there be light, and boom, there's light. Light rushes on to the earth, and our world begins to spin into motion as we know it today. God's absolute power is conveyed by the fact that he merely speaks and everything is created. He says, let there be light and light rushes to the earth. We can't miss the significance significance of this. God speaks and things are created. This shows us, the rest of the chapter shows us that our world is not random. It's not struggled for, but it's intricately designed and created in the mind and heart of God down to the least cell and Adam. Something else we need to get here is the first verse we are introduced to God the Father. God created the heavens and the earth. The second verse we're introduced to the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. And now we get to meet Jesus. And you're like, wait, you know, Jesus isn't there. I'm looking, there's no Jesus here. Well, let me get at you for a minute here. Check this out. John 1, all right? I love this. This just blows my mind. John 1 It's kind of the New Testament version of the creation story. John's telling it in a bit different way. And he says this, verse 1 through 5. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word of God. If Jesus is the Word of God, then when God speaks, let there be light, we meet Jesus, the words of God. In verse 3, we're introduced to him, Jesus, who makes all things. All things are made through Jesus, and without him, there was not anything made that was made. In him was life. He brought life and he brings light. He's the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome Jesus. The darkness cannot overcome him. Jesus is the word of God, and he brings light. He shines in darkness. So don't miss this connection between Genesis 1 and John 1. God the Father created it all. The Spirit brought order, and Jesus, through the words of God, brings light to the darkness of earth. So while the world was dark and empty, both physically here and also spiritually in the New Testament, Jesus brings life. He brings beauty and salvation. So how does this aspect of the creation story apply to our lives, you may ask? Well, it tells us this, that God is eager to invade the darkness of your life with his light. He's eager to invade death with life. And John 1 tells us that Jesus is this life. Jesus is light. God is eager to reveal his son, Jesus, and to shape us through an intimate relationship with the son. Jesus can bring light to the dark parts of your life. There's some things, I just sense it, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me. There's some things that we're holding on to. What is it for you tonight? 
There's something, something you're holding on to. And Jesus says, I will not relent until I'm able to shine light even on that dark area of your heart. I will not relent until I get all of you. I'm going to continue to press into your heart and continue to try to shine my light until I get to every single area of your life. So that's how it applies. Jesus wants to expose some darkness tonight. Jesus wants to speak to us. He wants to compel us to be the woman or the man that he created us to be in the very beginning. Jesus wants to get all of us tonight. But I can't help but just realize the truth that some of us here tonight, who we may know this, we may know that if we do it, like, it'll probably be good because it's God. But we're still afraid. We're still afraid what this might do to us. How will that change me if I truly let Jesus into that area of my heart? What will happen? Well, this last weekend, Emily and I had our niece and nephew to our house. I'm getting somewhere with this, all right? We had our niece and nephew to our house, and, and the nephew is nine years old, okay? And, and they didn't really, like, they haven't grown up in church, really. Their parents go to church once in a while. But uh, so I started talking to him about church because I'm the priest in the family, according to him. So we're talking about church, and, and I ask him what he thinks of it. And he's honest, which I love. It helps me to understand people. He says, you know, it's all right, but I get really confused. Like, it's all just over my head. And this is a nine-year-old talking. He's a pretty smart kid. I don't know, maybe nine-year-olds are that smart. I haven't hung out with kids for so long, I don't even know. But anyways, he says, you know, I get confused. I don't really understand what they're talking about. And I asked him, I said, could you ever see yourself going to church on a regular basis? Could you ever see yourself, you know, going after God or serving God? And and he said, yeah, I definitely could see that. Yeah, I think that would be good, but it scares me. And I said, why does that scare you? He says, it scares me because I'm afraid that if I do that, that my personality is going to change. Isn't that true? Some of us think that, you know. And he tells the story of this girl who he was best friends with, and she was not going to church or anything, but then her family started going to church. I just think this is beautiful, okay? Some six or seven-year-old at the time starts going to church, and her life begins to change, and she begins to talk about church and Jesus all the time. And he said, I saw her change. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. You know, the light of Jesus got to that little girl's heart, and she changed before my, before my nephew's eyes. And he saw it, and he said, I don't know if I want to let God do that. And there's some of us tonight, that that's our biggest fear. We're just afraid, what's going to happen if I give God all of me? What's going to happen if I really let his light shine in the darkness of my heart? What's going to happen if I have to surrender everything in my life to him and truly let him lead us? Because I just believe that there's nobody here tonight, including myself, there's no one who's letting God lead us 100%. And tonight, God wants to get a little bit more of that percentage. God wants to get his light in a little bit more in our lives. God wants us to surrender to him. God wants us to begin this semester and to begin 2018 by just allowing him, saying, God, just have your way. Just allowing him to shine his light on the dark areas of our life. And by also just allowing him to compel us to bring light to others. So not just sit by while thousands, thousands of students walk by us every single day without hope or salvation, and not just allow them to walk by without saying anything or loving them or giving them the light of Jesus. Some of us are going to be called out of that tonight, out of this complacency, out of this, oh, I'll just go to church on my own, but I don't want to tell anyone else. And we're going to begin to bring light to other people. I believe God wants to do that. I believe God wants to stir something up in this place, not business as usual, like not just going through the motions, doing Kyle once a week, maybe going to a small group, maybe going to more a conference once in a while, but instead being so lit on fire by God's light and God's life that we can't help but give him everything, you know, whatever's in our heart, give him everything, but also go out and share God's love and God's light with other people. 
believe God's calling us into that tonight. I believe he's calling us to be like children before him that say, God, whatever you want to do, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I want to give it to you. God, I want to be obedient to you. So the main idea again is this. God is infinitely powerful and nothing is impossible with him. So the story of creation and creation itself can speak to us in so many different ways. And I know that God is just speaking to each of us in maybe a little bit of a different way tonight, but there's two ways I want to really zero in on tonight, two main ways I think he's speaking. And the first is this, maybe you walked in here tonight and like my nephew, church can confuse you at times. You know, this whole thing, like like you like the feeling, but it's kind of weird, like what's going on? You pass out during my sermon once in a while, I get it. And some of us are in that spot. We're just not really sure what we think about all this. Or maybe you know the truth, but you haven't really given God your heart. And tonight, I just believe that Jesus is inviting us into relationship, not into religion, not into just doing a few good deeds to get into heaven, but instead relationship where we give him everything and we allow Jesus to have his way in our lives. I believe he's calling us to that. He's calling us to surrender to him and to trust him, to confess our sins to him, to ask him for forgiveness, and to Again, to trust him, because, you know, I guess that some of us are scared what might happen. But if Jesus is God, if he loves you infinitely, so much so that he went to the cross, then you can trust him with your life. When you give it to him, he's going to help you be the person that you were intended to be. And in that place, even when everything hits the fan in life, in that place, you'll find tremendous, unbreakable, unshakable joy. And that's where you're going to find vibrant life. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, I think some of us come in here tonight and and you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've been doing it for a while, but God is calling you back to childlike wonder and childlike faith. Maybe you prayed prayers that haven't been answered and that caused you to get cynical and to stop praying. And that zeal and that passion and that confidence you had at the very beginning has been lost a little bit. And tonight, Jesus is calling us to believe again, to believe that he is the God who is able to do anything and to recapture that wonder and that trust that God has our good in mind. To look to the stars and to remember that he stands over it all and he is able to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. So as a group, God's calling us to a heart of wonder. Let's let this this year be the year where we just have a heart of wonder before God and we are just sent out to this campus and we have this childlike faith and this trust and we just marvel at God. We get excited about getting the opportunity to worship him and to stand before him every single week and to proclaim his name in the middle of a secular hostile campus. We get that opportunity. That should cause us to be excited, to be filled with wonder. So I'm just praying that this year would be the year of wonder. And at the same time that that God is mighty, he's above everything, he hung the stars, God wants to know each of us intimately, and I pray that that would cause us to wonder as well. So if you would stand with me, we're going to pray.